Good morning, church. It's always a, pre- um, a privilege to come to um, dwell now. I know you guys have gone through a few changes, but I'm just really excited to be here. I have really been, it, it does feel like you're my extended family. You're the relatives that I get to come and see every so often, you know, during the Thanksgiving or Christmas period. <laughs> we don't see each other too often, but every single time that I do come around, I'm always um, just honored to be here, and I really do feel that I'm welcomed as part of the family. When I uh, was asked to come in and, uh, and preach and was told that you're going through the Esther series, I had completely forgotten that I think it was the first time that I preached it, it was on Esther. And uh, someone reminded me of that, and I'm like, oh, well, here we go. This, it's like a full circle. Um, I am not preaching that same message. So if you were there at that time, um, you'll, you'll be in for a new treat. I do want to wrap up your series on Esther. Um, I know that you guys have been going through the first few chapters and uh, now you're at, to, I think, chapter seven. And Esther is such a powerful story. Like, who can give an amen to that, right? Like, it's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Not just because it's a, a female character, that's got nothing to do with it, but that is actually a bonus right there. <laughs> But more so because of how many things you learn through that particular story. Just the way that Esther represents God and presents herself and the characters that she portrays and she extends out and her mannerisms. There are so many beautiful qualities of Esther that I'm sure you have been speaking about for the last few weeks. Today, I want to focus on her ability to communicate. You know... um, I really do believe beyond all of the many sermons that you can preach about Esther, one of the things that it's a perfect example of is a story of effective or wise communication. And the interesting thing about Esther is here is this Hebrew girl who, one is Hebrew, two is a young girl, lives in a completely different society to her culture. She's actually outside of her usual cultural bounds. Um, So she's young. She's got the wrong gender at that time. You know, she's breaking all of these different barriers, but yet she is a hero of our story. What a powerful way that God uses to present who we in turn can be, even while we defy the odds. So before I continue... I want us to just quickly bow our heads in prayer. Father, we just thank you for this opportunity to come together as a a church family. I am honored to be here as part of the world this morning. And I am honored that you are here with us, Jesus. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for this ability to be able to just worship you and share your good news and learn about you, God, in so many different ways. So this morning in particular, I ask that you anoint my lips and only speak the truth of your word. And I ask that you open our hearts and our minds to accept your word and to be able to be changed souls as we leave this premise. Help us capture the essence of what this message is about. And help us change for you. In your name we pray this. Amen. So I know you have been going through the book, but I want to kind of set the stage for what I want to talk about this morning. So I mentioned you have this young Hebrew girl. She has gone through a series of circumstances, ends up becoming this queen of Persia. 
she has this uncle, Mordecai, who tells her at the time, don't tell anyone about your, um, about your, your Jewishness. <laughs> Keep that on the down low. Stay quiet about that. And so she doesn't tell a soul, not even her husband, the king anymore. And the, the, while that's happening at the same time, you have this other story going on of Mordecai, her uncle, has this fight, has this feud, this constant frustration with the king's right-hand man, Haman. Haman is a arrogant guy, let's call him that. He's, he wants recognition. He wants people to bow down to him. He likes that pedestal, but yet Mordecai will just not give him that pedestal at all refuses to do so, refuses to bow down to him to the point that he puts, um, more, uh, puts Haman in such a huge rage that he decides, I'm going to do something about this. I know that Mordecai is a Jew and I'm just going to do something to destroy the entire nation. All of those people, everyone that could possibly in any way be related to this Jewish awful heritage. And so he goes to the king and he tells the king this story of this people group who, uh, um, who are not pleasant and not worth his time. And, and he, he tells the king, I'm going to give you some money if you allow me to then destroy this people group because it's actually to your benefit, king. It's to your benefit that I'm going to do this thing. And the king is his right-hand man. He takes his word for truth and he takes his money as well and he allows a decree to be written. And the decree says to allow in 12 months' time for Haman to destroy the people of the Jews. Wonderful way of starting the story, right? It's like an intense Hollywood drama happening here right now. And so Mordecai finds out about this. And he rushes off to the queen. And he says, Queen Esther, do something about this. And her first response, like everyone else, is, um, no, <laughs> I cannot do that. <laughs> what are you talking about? I'm a young Hebrew girl. I can't even speak in front of the king. And that was another sermon of its own. But her second response, and this is the response that we'll focus on, is that she says, okay, fine. I'm paraphrasing, of course. Okay, fine. But before I do, I am going to spend some time with God. I am going to fast for three days and for three nights. And I need all of you to do the same thing. I will not make a move until that takes place. Interestingly enough, on a side note, you know the name God is never mentioned in the story of Esther. Not a single time. But yet his presence just exudes out of this story. You don't need to say the name God. You don't need to say the name Jesus at times in order to represent him. And that's what Esther does here. So three days go by. Her fast is over. Her time spent with God is over. And so she goes into the, um, I think it's a courtyard, and she goes and stands 
before the king and she has to stay silent before the king because the royal decree is only unless the king extends his golden scepter do you have permission to speak. And so she stands there quietly, silently waiting. And the king sees her and he extends his golden scepter. And he says these words to her. What's troubling you? What is your request? Even to half of the kingdom it shall be given to you. Just picture this for a second. You are in this state in which you have this burden, this responsibility. In fact, you're probably going through a whole series of emotions, fear and anger and frustration and, and uncertainty. And someone says to you, what's going on? Tell me. Even to half of the kingdom it shall be given to you. It's pretty much, here's, here's a plate. Fill it with whatever you want and take it home for free. That's what he's saying. So tell me everything. I'll work it out for you. And what does she do? What's her response? She stays silent. She doesn't say anything to him about her problem. Not a single word. Instead, she invites him to a banquet. When you're in an argument or in a frustrating point in your time and you go before the person who might be the cause of your frustration, is the first thing that you say to them, come and I'll make you a meal and then we'll talk. The banquet comes around, it's the second day or that evening I believe, and again, the king extends this, this offer to her. What is your request? Even to half of the kingdom, it shall be done. He's still saying, tell me everything and I will gladly help you. Whatever it is, I will gladly help you out. And again, Esther's response is to stay quiet. She still doesn't say a single word about the problem that she is trying to resolve. And she invites him again to a banquet. <laughs> it's like, I'll give you a second meal. And then I will share what's on my mind. So the third time comes around. And this time, the king and Haman, they're jolly. They're enjoying themselves. Haman's like on this like pride roller coaster right now he's like the queen has given me food two times she has provided for me it's wonderful and the king asked her again during this third moment what is your request even to half of the kingdom it shall be done this is to the point of like temptation right now if someone repeatedly ask you, tell me what's wrong and I will fix it. Tell me what's wrong and I will fix it. Tell me what's wrong and I will fix it. Even if it's my fault, I will fix it. Do we stay silent often? Or do we just blurt it all out? Do we choose our words wisely when we do finally speak? 
or do we just blurt it all out? Well, this is Esther's response. If you have your Bibles with you, I'm reading from chapter 7, verses 3. If I have found favor in your sight, O king, and if it pleases the king, let my life be given me as my petition and my people as my request. For we have been sold, I and my people, to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. Now, if we have only been sold as slaves, men and women, I would have remained silent. For the trouble would not be commensurate with the annoyance to the king. I'm going to break this down in a second, but I just want to pause here for a second and just think back to what I've just shared with you about these last six or so chapters. She stayed quiet about her heritage. She stayed quiet when the king asked her to speak up. She chose her words carefully throughout. So the entire first few chapters, we're already seeing how effective and powerful communication is in this story of Esther. The idea of when to speak, when not to speak, what to share, what not to share. All of that is in these first six chapters. And in chapter 7, in these few lines of what she just spoke out to the king, we learn the importance of how to speak. And that's what I want to narrow in down on this morning. So let's look at this. Well, firstly, she says, If I have found favor in your sight, O king, and if it pleases the king, let my life be given as my petition. If I have found favor, if it pleases the king. The very first thing she does, if you notice, is she recognizes his status. Meaning she gives him respect as she's speaking to him. She doesn't betray her nature and speak in arrogance, in turmoil, or in, in a way that degrades the king. She still keeps him at his level. She gives him that recognition. She shows that respect. How often, when you are in a conversation with someone who is the cause of your hurt... Show respect in your dialogue with him or her. If it pleases the king. And notice what she says next. She doesn't say anything, in fact. Never mentions a word about being Jewish still. She focuses on what the root concern is only. She tells him, let my life be given as my petition. She doesn't say, let my life as a Jewish person um, be given to me as my petition. She doesn't say, let my life as a Jewish young girl because, I, you know, because I'm female and I deserve it. None of this business is there. She just gets to the root cause. This is my life that I'm about to be, um, that's about to be taken from me. 
She doesn't bring up all of this extra information and data that's not necessary for this particular conversation right now. And frankly, the king wouldn't even care. So she chooses her words in such a way where she goes down to the very root. What is the true issue here that this king will care about? I am a huge OCD cleaner. Huge. One of my biggest pet peeves is when someone doesn't do the dishes. And if I'm in a household, and I remember this with my sister, she would always be the one that would wash and I would always have to be the one that dries. I don't know how we came up with that rule. I think she was older and so therefore she got to choose the, the, the task that she could finish earlier because then I was still stuck drying the dishes while she's like, you know, left the room. But I would always get so frustrated when I would see plates and plates and plates in there. And if it was just one plate today, there would be moments that I would say, well, you did this three weeks ago and two weeks ago and last week as well. And you also left that cup on that table over there. It's got nothing to do with the fact that there's just this one single plate in the, in the sink right now. I was bringing up all of these issues from the past. All of these things that were unnecessary to the root issue that I'm trying to deal with now. Esther doesn't do that. So not one mention of her being Jewish. And then she gives him reason after that. She says, we have been sold, I and my people, to be destroyed, to be killed and to be annihilated. Well... In actual fact, if you remember what I just shared with you in a very fast way, I said Haman asked the king, take my money and give me permission to then kill these Jews. So in actual fact, it's a king who sold them into slavery. He's the one that accepted the money. But is Esther pointing fingers here at the king? No. Not at all. She completely admits this, even though he's part to blame. How often are we quick to point fingers? <laughs> it's easy to point fingers. It's easy to bring up a lot of information to try and boost and defend yourself. To lay the blame elsewhere. Even if they deserve it. But she doesn't do that in the way that she communicates. And then finally, she says this, If we have only been sold as slaves, men and women, I would have remained silent, for the trouble would not be commensurate with the annoyance to the king. In other words, she's saying, I've thought this through. I haven't jumped the gun in any particular way. I've actually tried to reason this through with myself. I'm not here to just simply complain and tell you what's wrong and assume that you will have the answer. I've actually really taken time to consider this. And if I were just simply given away as a slave, it would be okay. But it's my life at stake. 
And that I don't have an answer to, you have an answer to. How often do we go into a conversation having thoughtfully thought through the possible situations to come with a solution rather than expect the other person to always provide the solution, especially because they were in the wrong. They were the reason for all of this. There are a few things that we learn from this story of Esther. We learn that Esther didn't rush into the king's presence She first spent time with God, intentional time with God, three days and three nights. And even beyond then, she still waited a little bit longer until she was certain it was the right time. So she didn't rush in. We need to learn to not rush into a conversation. But rather, like Esther, spend time with God beforehand, intentionally spend time with God beforehand, before even letting the first word slip out of our mouth. Especially in a situation in which we're feeling threatened or hurt. And especially if the person that we're about to engage with is the very reason or the cause of our hurt. And Esther didn't allow her emotions to rule her tongue, nor her body language. Why do I say that? Haman and the king had absolutely no idea that there was something burdening the queen's heart. Not a clue. I mentioned earlier, Haman was like on this pompous little pride parade the the second day onwards. So imagine that. Imagine how calm and collected Esther had to be in order to not portray this this crazy emotional woman. I often wonder, in fact, if that's a reason why she waited another couple of days before she actually said anything to the king. She spent her three days with God, but then she still waited. She still remained silent. Was she self-aware? Was she still trying to compose herself because she realized that she wasn't in an emotional state yet to be able to speak calmly and wisely and effectively? I wonder that. But she didn't allow her emotions to rule her tongue. Not a single word in her statement, was jabbing in any way. She didn't manifest these emotions that she wouldn't be able to control in a physical way either. And also Esther didn't speak carelessly. And this is so critical. She communicated with such thoughtful wisdom She chose her words specifically to make sure that the king would be able to hear and receive what she was saying. She showed him respect. She didn't drudge up every single drama. 
She didn't take jabs at him. She didn't point fingers. She didn't speak carelessly. Esther's story illustrates something to us. It's a power of effective, wise communication. When to speak, when not to speak, what to speak, what not to speak, and how to do it all. She was a beautiful woman. The Bible talks about her beauty so often. And she was a recognized queen. But yet, neither of those things are what saved her. It wasn't her status as a queen that saved her. She even mentioned in the very beginning, I have no place to speak before the king. Even though it was her beauty that got her to the point of being a queen, that wasn't the reason that she got saved from all of this. And nor are they the reasons that make her stand out in Scripture. Yes, we hear often stories and messages about how Esther was in a position where she could do something and she acted. But if she did not act wisely, then what's the point? She wouldn't have gotten anywhere. What makes her stand out is her ability to communicate wisely. That's what it is. Especially because she was hurting. Especially because she was in a threatening situation. She still communicated wisely. See, Esther teaches us that in order to act and speak wisely, we must also first intentionally spend time with God. And that's the part that I want us to narrow in on today even further. If you want to be a wise communicator, church, then you need to intentionally spend time with God. It's the same trait that Jesus shared and showed us constantly. How often do we read? Pick any um, gospel story. Any of them. Just like open up. And I'm certain that the second paragraph you'll see is Jesus trying to run off from everyone and spend some time with God. He was so intentional about it. Before he spoke to crowds, before he spoke with his disciples, before he spoke with anyone, he was always finding an avenue to go and spend some intentional time with God. And then when he did come before crowds and people and individuals, it didn't matter who they were, he knew what to say, what not to say, when to say it, when not to say it, and how to say it. Because he also narrowed in on who it was he was speaking with. And he changed what he said, what he didn't say, and how he said it with the person he was speaking with and to the crowds he was speaking with. That was his straight. And I don't believe he would have been able to do it effectively, nor do I believe he thought he would be able to do it effectively if he did not spend time with God beforehand. To the point he left his best friends for a while and went and spent some intentional time with God because his best friends were annoying him. (laughs) 
Jesus was a master at communication, wise communication. Some of his final words were the climax of this. So thoughtful. And it came from spending hours with God in the garden just the night before. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He didn't point fingers. It wasn't an emotional outburst at all. He didn't drag up all the ways that they abused him, all the things that they did to him. He simply spoke the root of the issue, that they didn't know what they were doing and they needed forgiveness. He spoke wisely, thoughtfully, and that's what made him effective. How well do you communicate? Does it resemble the way Esther or Jesus communicate? How much do you intentionally spend time with God before you engage with someone? Especially when you're hurting or feeling threatened. Especially when they've stirred emotions up in you. Does the way that you communicate, church, make you stand out today? Just as it does Esther and Jesus. Stand with me, if you will. We're going to go into a time of worship right now, and I just want you to reflect on Esther and this story that you have been traveling through these last few weeks. I'm sure you have learned so much about her character and her traits. You have learned so much from this one simple book of a young Hebrew girl who becomes queen. And now you see the power of effective communication, wise communication, all that surfaced from intentional time with God. A God that's never mentioned in the book. (laughs) There probably isn't a single day that we live where someone doesn't hurt us. When our emotions try to get the best of us. How do we want to handle those moments? Are we willing to be wise and thoughtful? Are we willing to take on the posture of Jesus? 
and get down to the root problem only. If you're here today and this is something that touches your heart, then I ask you, during this time of worship, that you just ask God, help me spend time with you before I say a single word. Remind me to spend time with you before I say a single word. Teach me to speak wisely. Teach me to communicate effectively. Teach me to be like your son. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the promises that you provide us in your word. We thank you that you give us so many examples of what it's like to be truly Christ-like. Even Esther shows us what it means to be Christ-like in such a way of how we communicate. And we thank you, Lord, that there are so many examples for us to glean from. And God, as people hurt us in this life and as we come to places where there are threats and obstructions and uncertainties and when our emotions want to get the best of us, Lord, and when we don't even know what to say or we have so much that's fueling us, help us, Lord, in those moments to just sit and dwell in your presence and not make a move until you show us that we're ready and not say a word until you show us we know what we need to speak out. Help us, God, to know when to speak and when not to speak, what to share and how much not to share, and how to do it effectively. We want to stand out from this world. It's the reason why we're your followers, Jesus. To not be like this world in any single way. So train our tongue in such a way where it does not harm even though there are others who want to harm us. Curb our tongue from speaking things that peace and jab even though others are piercing and jabbing us and like Jesus help us when there's nothing more to do and say to say Father forgive them for they know not what they do In your name we pray this, Jesus. Amen.